Welcome to Season 1, Episode 2 of Darker Things. I'm your host, Scott J. Gow. Formerly of Marketplace Radio, this is my new project, a podcast looking for light on the darker side of life, whether it be true crime, historic disasters, missing person cases, or people who have fallen into the Grand Canyon. Today's episode is the first in an occasional series called Incredible Tales from the Grand Canyon. Stories of people who have perished in one of the world's great natural wonders, but also harrowing and heroic cases of survival. Many of the stories in today's episode come from a fascinating book called Over the Edge, Death in the Grand Canyon by Michael Giglieri and Thomas Myers. I picked it up when I last visited the Grand Canyon a couple years ago, and I couldn't put it down. It's almost 600 pages, but every chapter is a page-turner about all the ways people have died in this massive hole in the ground and the unbelievable ways people have survived almost certain death. People have died in nearly every conceivable fashion in the Grand Canyon, falling into it from the rim or falling somewhere inside it. People have died of thirst, hypothermia, heat exhaustion, flash floods, lightning strikes, rock falls, drowning, plane crashes, freak accidents, animal bites, plant poisonings, suicides, and murder. There are so many ways people have died. There's no way I could do one episode on all of this, so we'll have some future ones, and this one is going to focus on falls in the Grand Canyon. When I first gazed upon the Grand Canyon in person, my jaw dropped, and I don't mean that in the theoretical sense. Literally, involuntarily, my lower jaw separated from my upper lip. I don't remember that ever happening at another time in my life. It's just that awe-inspiring and otherworldly. There's no way to describe it in words. It's shocking. But with its beauty comes a nasty beast, and it's imperative that human beings respect places like this and be prepared for them. Am I suggesting you have a good chance of dying if you visit the Grand Canyon? Of course not. Since the National Park opened a century ago, there have been, on average, about a dozen deaths a year, so roughly 1,000, 1,200. But the park attracts 6 million visitors a year, so the odds of dying, I did the math, are 0.000002. So it's perfectly safe as long as you have your wits about you and maintain social distancing from the Grand Canyon. And that's not even a coronavirus joke. The park says you should be six feet back from any ledge. But speaking of COVID-19 breaking news, the Grand Canyon Visitor Center is reopening this weekend of May 15th with limited hours and service. So if you happen to live close enough, you've never been, or you want to see it again, by all means, a socially distanced road trip sounds good. Some facts about the Grand Canyon. It was carved out by the Colorado River around five and a half million years ago. It's 277 miles long, up to 18 miles wide. On average, it's one mile deep, and the North Rim and the South Rim combined, all the way around, add up to 2,757 miles, which is almost exactly the distance between New York and Los Angeles. Yeah, it's big. On that last visit I took, a tour bus shuttled us from the train to the visitor center, and along the way, the tour guide said flat out, today you are going to see some of the stupidest, her word, human behavior you've ever seen. And I think she made a dark joke about Darwinism. We all nervously chuckled, and then she proceeded to give us a safety lecture. She was not exaggerating. I almost didn't enjoy the gorgeous scenery 
because I saw children wandering far too close to a one-mile-deep abyss with no guardrail. I saw people perched out on rocks with very little between them and the great beyond. I saw people posing for photographs they had no business posing for. There were a couple of times I felt so anxious that I was going to have to intervene and grab people and pull them back from the ledge. Of course, everything turned out fine that day. But the executive director of the Grand Canyon Trust puts it this way, quote, a lot of people approach Grand Canyon like it's a ride at Disneyland or some other amusement park and think it's idiot proof. Well, the Grand Canyon wasn't built by attorneys or engineers, end quote. If you want to see exactly what I'm talking about, I'll post a link to this video. Holy! That's Kevin Fox, the man shooting the video, watching a mother and daughter on an outcropping some distance away. The daughter backs up to take a picture, and her foot slips off a sheer cliff. Thankfully, she caught herself and was fine. Her mother was not when she talked to the local news. We went out onto that ledge to take some pictures. You know, the cliff was right there, and I said, don't take another step back. Twice I said that, scared and angry all at the same time. So I just went up and grabbed her and said, you, you know, you just scared me to death, Emily. Here's another video. <gasps> oh, no. Oh, no. Onlookers were pleading with this guy to climb back up from the precarious perch he had climbed out onto, probably over a guardrail. He actually did fall in front of these people. You don't actually see that on the video. But thankfully, he survived. Although, according to the comments section, he may have suffered some brain damage. But I'll post links to these on my social media if you want to check it out, because it is a lesson to see where not to go and what not to do when you visit the Grand Canyon. On Twitter, my handle is at ThingsDarker, and on Instagram and Facebook, it's DarkerThingsPod. People have fallen into the Grand Canyon while posing for or taking pictures almost since the National Park opened in 1919. The first recorded instance was March 25, 1925, when 40-year-old Lewis Thompson of Denver, Colorado was posing for his own photograph. I guess this is the 1925 version of a selfie. Well, he took a bad step and fell 700 feet to his death. 20 years later, there was another fall that captured the nation's attention because it was all Hollywood. You know Capri Pants? Well, here's the story. They're a relative of the pedal pusher, the tight calf-length women's pants that were popular in the 1950s. Think Annette Funicello. Those pants were created by a fashion designer named Dee Dee Johnson. And on September 15, 1946, Dee Dee and her entourage went to the Grand Canyon for a photo shoot fashion show on the South Rim. There was Dee Dee in her pedal pushers and halter top, posing on a wall overlooking nothing but air with a throng of photographers snapping photos. One of the rangers saw this and screamed, get her off that wall before she falls off. Then he started running toward her. The flashbulbs were popping and Dee Dee disappeared. The crowd rushed to the rim to see what had happened and a quick acting ranger named William Bowen spotted Dee Dee in a sitting position. She had caught herself on a little pine tree, five feet from a 300 foot drop off. So he climbs over the wall and makes his way to her, risking his own life to save hers. She wasn't moving, but the ground beneath her was, and Bowen knew he had to act fast. He slid down to where Dee Dee was, 
braced himself on the pine tree and grabbed the seat of Dee Dee's soon to be famous pedal pushers. Another ranger named Dean Daisy came from above with a rope, secured it around Dee Dee and pulled her to safety. So this story has a happy ending, except that Dee Dee's halter top came off in the process and she emerged to this group of photographers with no top on. Obviously embarrassing, but she seemed upset with the ranger who had just saved her life because her top had come off. And that is a common theme with many of the falls in the Grand Canyon. Simply a complete lack of perspective. In 1993, there was a horrible streak of people falling into the canyon, seven of them. Reporter Susan Troush summed it up this way, quote, with the exception of a tourist who had been drinking, by the way, alcohol and strolling along the rim of a precipice, not a good mixture. Otherwise, the lives were lost by sober, solid citizens who simply had no sense of the danger of standing on the rim of a mile-deep gorge. They died posing for pictures, leaning over for a better look, or strolling a rocky path as nonchalantly as they would be walking through a shopping mall. Warning signs, guardrails, stern words from rangers, and fear didn't register. They were in a park, and that meant authorities were responsible for their safety, didn't it? Ranger Ken Miller added, The one common thread from these incidents has been a complete lack of regard for personal safety. Despite decades of people falling into the canyon, this stuff still happens. Those videos you heard earlier, one was from 2017, the other was just last November. There were multiple falls in 2019, including a man visiting from Hong Kong who plummeted a thousand feet to his death after he stumbled while taking pictures too close to the rim. If you Google a woman named Colleen Burns and Grand Canyon, you'll find a haunting photo of the 35-year-old marketing executive from Yelp. She's sitting Indian style, close to a ledge, soaking up the incredible vista in front of her. It's a very peaceful looking photo, but her mother saw it that night it was posted and slammed her computer shut because she's afraid of heights and the image frightened her. Well, the next morning, Colleen and two friends went on a sunrise hike at a spot called Ooh-Ah Point. Colleen was too close to the edge when politely she let another hiker scoot past her. Unfortunately, she lost her balance and fell backwards into the canyon with her friends watching in horror. She landed 400 feet below and died instantly. These cases are heartbreaking. She wasn't leaping from rock to rock over the canyon or jumping a guardrail to climb a sheer cliff face, but she was too close to the edge and there was no guardrail. And if you're too close, any small thing could send you over. The ground is loose and crumbles easily, a hiker could brush past you, and when you're staring into that view, it's quite frankly disorienting and can be dizzying so you can lose your balance very easily. If you're wondering why most of the canyon doesn't have guardrails at the rim, it's because, as I mentioned earlier, it's 2,757 miles. The amount of steel required to build guardrails would stretch halfway around the planet. It's impossible, and I can't even figure the cause. Besides, as the book points out, even if you did have railings all the way around the Grand Canyon, 
you know people would still climb over them and put their lives in danger. You know how they say Father Time is undefeated? Well, guess what? So is Mother Nature. So don't joke with her. On November 28, 1992, 38-year-old Greg Gingrich of Dallas, Texas, was visiting the park with his family and friends. The group split up on a walk, and Gingrich ended up alone with his young daughter. At one point, he jumped up on a wall, turned to his daughter, and started windmilling his arms around, saying, Help! I'm falling! Then he jumped backwards towards the canyon. His daughter kind of laughed it off, thinking, Oh, he's going to show up any second now. He's pulling a prank on me. He didn't. The group went searching for Greg. He was nowhere to be found. National Park Service rangers were informed, and they thought the same thing. Oh, he's going to show up later, embarrassed that his prank went too far. But then, as the hours passed, they began to think something far worse had happened to Greg. An aerial search finally uncovered the truth. He was found lifeless 400 feet below the wall he jumped off of. Rangers investigated and found that a three to four foot ledge was behind the wall, and he was trying to jump onto that to pull off his little practical joke. Unfortunately, he lost his balance and dropped into the void. So, who falls into the Grand Canyon? Well, statistically, more men than women. Men generally tend to be a little more daredevil than common sense in some cases, especially younger adults and teenagers. But gratefully, children are a small percentage of those who have fallen. Quite frankly, sometimes they're the ones with more common sense than their parents. On January 9, 1985, Richard Pena of Granada Hills, California was at an overlook on the West Rim with his young son and the rest of his family. It was a cold day and there was snow on the ground, meaning the edge of the rim was obscured by snow. Pena, in his infinite wisdom, climbed over the guardrail and his son shouted, Hey Dad, the sign says you're not supposed to go past the rail. Instead of listening to this wise child, according to the story, Pena allegedly said, Son, you gotta take some chances in life. Those were his last words. He stepped through the snow into empty air. After rangers found him 350 feet below, there were some rumors circulating around the park that Pena was wanted by Los Angeles County authorities for two cases of murder. So if true, perhaps being careless over a one-mile gorge plus killing two people equals karma. So far, we've talked about people falling from the rim into the Grand Canyon, but people also fall inside the Grand Canyon, and the factors that lead to those deaths or incredible survival stories are complex. Once you make the decision to hike into the gorge, you better be skilled at canyoneering. You better be prepared. You better bring a friend or several. You better know where you're going, and you better not go off the beaten path, the marked trails. You can easily wind up in places you're not returning from. Dead ends with nowhere to go are all over the Grand Canyon. Not only is there a raging river cut through the middle of it, there are jagged and severe cliff faces everywhere. And at the peak of summer, it can be 120 degrees in the shade, if there is any shade. Quick side note on that, I have been in 120 degree weather one time at the bottom of Death Valley. 
I got out of my car so I could take a quick photo and say, hey, I was in 120 degree heat at the bottom of Death Valley. I think it was about 30 seconds before I was back in my air-conditioned car. I happened to see a fellow tourist uh, not wearing a hat or a shirt, and he looked like he was going on a significant walk. I hope he's still with us. Uh, my point is, people being dumb is not the province of the Grand Canyon. Now I'm going to cull a couple of stories from the book, Over the Edge, Death in the Grand Canyon, because they fit the category of incredible tales and people actually live to tell the stories. On October 19, 2010, 59-year-old Nick Cork was camping and day hiking with his 29-year-old daughter and her husband, 30-year-old Ryan Leonard. Take note, he's a mountaineer and a firefighter. They were looking for the mouth of a certain cave, but had overshot it while climbing up, and they found themselves above the cave, not where they wanted to be. Nick, in particular, was in a tricky spot a few yards from the others, and he needed to cross one face of a ravine to get back to them. But when he took his next step, the ground beneath him buckled. He slid 40 feet and flipped off of a 25-foot cliff onto a rock slab. His daughter screamed, and she and Ryan scrambled down to where Nick had landed. He was unconscious, and while they didn't know it, he had broken both arms, his pelvis, his scapula, his femur was snapped in two places, several ribs were broken, and he had just suffered a serious head injury. Ryan, an EMT, knew the situation was dire. He figured the only thing he could do was somehow get down to the Colorado River and flag down a boater with a satellite phone and call for help. The problem was, they had been hiking for five hours at this point, and as the crow flies, they were 10 miles from the river with rough terrain all along the way. But Ryan didn't hesitate. He started sprinting as much as he could, leaping over rocks, heading downwards. It took him over an hour to reach their campsite. Again, that was a five hour round trip earlier, but he kept going and after another hour of running at almost full speed, he reached the Colorado. It took some time, but he found a boater with a phone, called the park service after several tries he got through, but since it was getting dark, the Park Service would not send a helicopter for a rescue mission. They would, however, drop in a paramedic with supplies to treat Nick until they could come back in the morning and get him. The question is, will Nick survive the night? Ryan, incredibly, had run a half marathon, 13 miles, in about two hours to get to this beach. He collapsed in exhaustion, but was okay. Meanwhile, Nick's daughter, Anne, was with him, trying to keep him warm. She wanted to use her body heat to prevent hypothermia, but there was a chance her weight on him could rupture his femoral artery and kill him. So these were anxious moments in the silence and darkness of the Grand Canyon. The helicopter finally flew over, but had to land a mile away. A medic named Brandon Torres was dropped off in the dark with 50 pounds of medical gear. In order to reach Nick, he had to climb up rugged terrain with all that gear. What he did was brilliant. He separated the supplies into two groups, put a flashlight on each one so he wouldn't lose them in the dark. Then he would go about 100 feet with the first supplies, drop them, go back, get the second group of supplies, take them another 100 feet past the first group, and keep repeating this Frogger-like thing up the mountain until he reached Nick. It took more than two hours. When Torres got there, he injected Nick with morphine, splinted his fractures, put a backboard underneath him, 
and then he put him in a full body 20 pound vacuum splint. Apparently it looks like a beanbag straitjacket. Torres stood watch all night and then in the morning Nick was flown out of the park. He spent the next month in the hospital, the next year in rehab, but he made a full recovery. So it's a story with a happy outcome thanks to his daughter, especially his son-in-law who ran a half marathon to get help, and a medic who climbed for two hours with 50 pounds of medical gear and knew exactly what to do when he arrived on the scene. Of course, many of the people who've fallen inside the Grand Canyon don't live to tell the story. While falls from the rim are generally due to carelessness, falls inside the canyon are almost always due to poor decision-making, stepping on a precarious rockfall, choosing to go off a marked trail, failing to bring enough water or supplies. In this age, you have to have a GPS system, but also a real paper map in case you don't have a signal. You also need to report to the Park Service that you're going on one of these hikes so that if you don't come back, they know to look for you. And finally, and perhaps most importantly, never hike alone. Canyon expert George Steck tells people, a solo hiker has a fool for a companion. I'm going to close this episode with one more tale that has a positive ending for the most part. It's frankly a crazy story, but it points out some of these things. On July 23, 1959, a 30-year-old Catholic priest named Eugene Gavigan set off into the Grand Canyon with two teenagers, Manson Owens and Pete Mahaney. The group had arrived from Savannah, Georgia, and the boys, 15 and 16, had begged Gavigan to take them on a hike to an abandoned silver mine the priest had visited when he was a teenager. This case is a screaming version of what not to do when you hike in the Grand Canyon. Gavigan told no one about his plans, and what an awful, awful plan it was. He set off with two teenagers at around noon on a Friday afternoon in late July, when the temperature was 120 degrees. Planning to hike the distance of a marathon in the same day, that's 13 miles to the mine, 13 miles back, in 120 degree heat, oh by the way, with one bottle of water each and a can of beans. Within a couple of hours, the trio was already out of water and dangerously dehydrated. They eventually reached the Colorado River, got some water, but then they wisely decided to ditch the rest of the trip. They weren't going to the mine now. They were going to return the way they came, hike back up to the rim. Unfortunately, darkness started falling, they ran out of water again, and they missed a critical trail they should have taken. The group decided to then hunker down for the night and you have to imagine it was probably one of the worst nights you could ever spend in your life with no water and in searing heat. At dawn, they got moving again, but their path the night before had gotten them stranded at the base of a red wall cliff. They had no idea where they were, how they were gonna get out, or how to climb back up to the rim. And their thirst was turning their brains to mush as they were trying to figure out a solution. They were chewing on cactus pulp. But the boys began shouting for help, and amazingly, someone at the rim heard them and shouted back. This good Samaritan told the park service there were people in the canyon needing help, and that got the search and rescue effort underway. But the priest and the boys were so dehydrated, they decided instead of continuing up, they would go down back to the Colorado River to get more water. Priest Gavigan led the way, and he told the boys to take off their shirt and shoes, not sure why, maybe for grip, he was thinking, cooler feet, 
Anyway, they got rid of those, and they continued down until Gavigan lost his footing and fell 150 feet to his death. The teenagers were, of course, horrified. Pete, the 16-year-old, wanted to climb down and help the priest. They called him Padre. But 15-year-old Manson Owens knew Gavigan was dead and that it would be a suicide mission for them to try to reach him. So the boys kept going toward the river over sharp rocks with bare feet and worsening thirst. When they got close, Pete just sat down on a rock. He was racked by dehydration. Owens asked him, hey Pete, are you coming with me? And then Pete just stared at him silently. So eventually Owens continued on not knowing it was the last time he'd see Pete alive. Owens reached the river and drank from it and swam. Probably due to the condition of his feet, he didn't try to go back up and get Pete. Instead, he put some logs together, put his belt around it, and created a raft. He scrawled notes in the sand about Pete and the Padre and that he was going downriver. Owens would later say that during the next week, he prayed every minute of every day. The water was like a washing machine. The raft turned over and I went under. I made it to the bank. At this point, to park rangers, Manson Owens had vanished. They'd found the bodies of the priest and 16-year-old Pete Mahaney, both dead. But where was Owens? A week of searching turned up nothing, and rangers figured they were looking for a body. But one hiker suggested to search and rescue that maybe Owens had built a raft and floated down river looking for help. The Park Service decided to do one more aerial search, and remarkably, they looked down upon a Colorado River beach and saw a giant letter H, about the height of a one-story house. It was Manson Owens. He had survived. He had built a letter H out of stones, and someone had finally seen it. The pilot set the helicopter down with sand flying everywhere, and Owens hobbled over to his rescuers. He had lost 30 pounds. But his ordeal wasn't actually over because all the hovering had damaged the chopper's engine, and the pilot decided he needed to land at a baseball field nearby instead of the Grand Canyon Airport 15 miles away. In any case, Owens miraculously lived through this ordeal. On August 1st, 1959, the Atlanta Journal-Constitution ran a photo of Owens and one of his family hearing the great news on the phone with the headline, Georgia Boy Survives Six-Day Grand Canyon Ordeal in a Miracle. Now that is an incredible tale from the Grand Canyon. I'll post a screenshot of the newspaper article on my Darker Things social media on Twitter, it's at Things Darker, and on Instagram and Facebook, it's Darker Things Pod. I hope you'll interact, ask questions, leave comments, suggestions for future shows. My completely random recommendation for this week is a four-part docuseries on Netflix called How to Fix a Drug Scandal. No, this isn't about doping in sports. It's worse. It's the story of two chemists in Massachusetts who worked in drug laboratories. This is where drugs come in from narcotics arrests, and they legally need to be tested to make sure, yes, this is actually cocaine, this is heroin, etc., not cornstarch. But one of these two women was sampling the drugs in her lab, meth, LSD, you name it, while she was doing these drug tests. The other woman, she wasn't doing drugs, no, she was forging results, and in many cases, not testing them at all and just checking off a box, saying, yeah, that looks like cocaine. You can imagine the havoc this could wreak on the criminal justice system in Massachusetts. It's a riveting story. I highly recommend How to Fix a Drug Scandal on Netflix. 
That's all for this episode of Darker Things. I appreciate you listening and interacting. Stay safe, and please don't fall into the Grand Canyon. Thank you.